We've been following a new series. I keep calling it a new series. We're almost in April. We began it in the new year. Um, but it is a series called The Heart of Jesus. Uh, we began that year with that desire to want to know Jesus better, to go deeper in our relationship, closer in our walk with him. And over the weeks, we've been looking at key moments in Jesus' life, but also looking deeper into his heart, what it looks like, what does he say. And we've discovered, if we didn't know it before, that Jesus is good news. He's good news for the discouraged, the frustrated, the weary, the disappointed, the cynical, the empty, the broken, the hungry, the faithful, the joyful, the expectant. I say that every week because I want to include us all. He is good news for all of us. And as we ask the question, what is in the heart of Jesus? We realize we are in the heart of Jesus. There is one who knows us completely and loves us unconditionally. And as the base for this series, we've used Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30, where Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And uh, we've discovered that this is the only verse in the Bible where Jesus actually specifically talks about his own heart. And uh, some of you have asked me about the, the basis for this series. There's a wonderful book called Gentle and Lowly. Uh, Dane Dortmund, I think, is the author. And it's been such a blessing to me since uh, this new year. And he explores this, this theme, the heart of Jesus. So this morning, we're going to look at another aspect of Jesus' heart. So if I was to ask you a question, as I often do, what is your relationship with Jesus like? What does it look like? You can think about that for a moment or two. Or the question, how does Jesus want you to relate to him? Is it as Lord, which is right? Is it as Savior, which is right? Is it as Master, which is right? Or is it as King, which is right? But today we're going to look at another aspect of Jesus' heart, and that is of his friendship. Jesus is our never failing friend. In John 15, verse 15 to 17, this is what Jesus says, I no longer call you servants because the servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so, that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. Jesus is our friend. We all need friends. 
friends are so important to us. A while ago, I was speaking to Ruth Rice, who um, began the Renew um, cafes across the country, and she said there's just an epidemic of loneliness in our nation. An epidemic of struggles with mental health, and that's why she started the Renew from one church. There's over 160 Renew centers now across the country. We have one that meets every Thursday here. Friends are so important to us. I know a story of a couple who had moved into town here in Chipping Camden, but they moved away again because they didn't make any friends. And that's really sad, isn't it? And I remember thinking about it when Hermie told me that I wish they'd come to church. I wish I'd met them. So I said, come to church. You'll get loads of friends. You don't have to actually believe to come to church. Do you know people think they have to believe to come to church? And when we see those adverts on the telly when... I don't know if you've seen them, but I've seen them when there's a chap or a lady who's really lonely, got no one to speak to, and, you know, I'm saying, go to church. I know of a doctor who prescribed going to church to a lonely patient. It was a while ago, and they might get in trouble for it now, but. According to a survey uh, on American life, Americans today have fewer friends. I don't mean nationally, internationally. I meant individually, uh, than they did 30 years ago. And in a survey in Britain has concluded that we have less friends actually since the pandemic, which is interesting. Yet as the quote from John's Gospel reveals to us, Jesus wants us to be his friends. For Jesus, friendship is that ultimate relationship with him and with one another. We know that Jesus had friends. I remember being at Bible college and there being a discussion about whether ministers should have friends in their churches. I couldn't believe what I was hearing, you know. Oh, some will say, no, you can't have friends. You know, because, you know, some will be jealous that you've got friends with them and you're not friends with them. And, you know, what a most lonely place to be if you can't have friends. And some wise person put their hand up gingerly and said, well, Jesus had friends. <laughs> yeah, among the crowds, yes. But among the 70 or the 72, yeah. Among the 12, and then among the 12, three. Among the three, one who said that he was the beloved. Now, these days, friendships look different, don't they? You can be friends with someone on the other side of the world and never meet with them. And that's wonderful, isn't it? You know, we're going to be talking to Karis this afternoon. It's wonderful, you know, amazing. And on friend, uh, Facebook, uh, someone's told me, I don't do Facebook, but Edward reminds me occasionally what's going on on Facebook. You can friend just about everything and everyone you want. And adding a friend means you see their activity on the feed and the stories and the photos. But the sad thing I'm told about Facebook is that you can unfriend people quite easily as well. You just go to their profile, click on their photo or name, click on the person, icon select unfriend. 
and then confirm. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this. And he laid down his life for his friends. And that's what Jesus did for us. We're his friends. One of the most arresting references to Christ's friendship, to Jesus' friendship, comes just before that text in Matthew 11, verse 28 to 30 that we read. In Matthew 11:19, Jesus quotes his accusers as contemptibly calling him as an insult. This is an insult to Jesus. You are a friend of tax collectors and sinners. You are a friend to the most despicable kinds of sinners known in that culture. I do find it ironic in the New Testament that it seems to be that the case of the enemies of Jesus most clearly perceive who he is and what he's come to do. The demons know that he is the Holy One of God. The demons know that he's the Son of God, that he's God the Son. Way before the disciples ever came to that conclusion. And though his enemies call Jesus a friend of sinners as an indictment, that label is one of unspeakable comfort to those of us who acknowledge that we are sinners in need of a savior. And if that is true, he calls us friend. Remember that the Bible's definition of sin is falling short of the glory of God. I never understood that before I was a Christian. I had an idea who sinners were. And tax collectors, they come in for a rough ride in the New Testament. But I don't, sorry if you're a tax collector, but you are a friend of Jesus too. And if that is the definition of sin then all of us have sinned. I think Paul makes that very clear. All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And so that jibe against Jesus, you're a friend of sinners and tax collectors, we rejoice in because he's our friend too. And the word glory speaks of God's excellence and beauty and greatness and perfection. Often on Alpha, when we talk about this, on week two, and people realize that actually being a sinner means that you're not like God and not as perfect as God. They all go, oh, well, that's all right there. We are forgiven sinners and friends of Jesus. John, one of Jesus' closest friends, says of Jesus, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And speaking of Jesus, the writer to the Hebrews in chapter 1 says, Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. That Jesus is a friend to sinners is only contemptible to those who feel that they are not in that category. That they don't need a saviour. So what does it mean that Jesus is a friend of sinners? Well, he wants a relationship with us. That's why he came, to rescue us, to forgive us, to save us. 
Have you ever realized that Jesus loves spending time with you? Hanging out with you? It means that we are welcomed and not rejected. Notice in Luke 15, verse 1 and 2, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering round to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. To our shame, the church has often become the Pharisees looking out on a world. Those who are sinners sense something different about Jesus and he offers them hope and forgiveness and friendship and new life. Think for a moment of your own circle of friends. There'll be some people who are acquaintances. We used to say that, an acquaintance. You'd, you'd know who they were and you'd meet them in the street. Maybe you'd say hi. And... But then there are others who we know them much better. They are friends and we love spending time with them. And then if you move closer to the circle of our relationships, they are close friends. Friends that we spend much more time with. We share our heart a little bit with them. And maybe among those, there may be some, maybe even one or two, who really, really know us. It may be our spouse or a family member or it may be just our bestie, best friend. Here is the promise of the gospel and the message that Jesus brings. In Jesus, we have a friend who will always be with us and always be for us, who will never reject us. Someone whose embrace does not change depending on our performance, how unclean or clean we are, attractive or not attractive, faithful or fickle. He does not change in his love for us. He knows everything about us more than our best friends do, and still loves us. He is the friend at the center of that circle. The bullseye of our relationship circle. In Holman Hunt's picture, The Light of the World, which we often use on the Alpha course as well, comes uh, from Revelation 3.20 where Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, what will Jesus do? He will come in. And they will eat together. It's interesting that Jesus makes a thing about eating together. It's that picture of fellowship when you eat together, isn't it? When you spend time over a meal and you share those things. Last week, Noah's soup, those of you who went to Noah's soup. It's a time to get to know new folks. I'm grateful that there are invitations to meals going on all the time in the life of the church. And if you're sitting there this morning and you say, I haven't been invited for a meal. What's he talking about? All I would say is, invite somebody. You take the initiative. 
I know it's not easy sometimes. We don't want anyone to be lonely here in this fellowship. We need to be mindful of one another, of new folks coming in to befriend them. I'm grateful that this testimony of so many new people is they they have found such a loving, friendly congregation. But we don't take that for granted. But also, if you've come this morning and no one has spoken to you, I apologize to you for that. But I would also say, have you spoken to somebody? Because it works both ways. In the context of Revelation 3, the letter is to address to Laodicea, to this group of lukewarm believers. I know we sometimes just take that verse, I, you know, I knock at the door, will you open it? It's an evangelistic, I've used it myself many, many times in that way. But actually he's talking to a church <laughs> who have grown lukewarm. In te- other ways he calls them poor, wretched and blind. He stands at the door and knocks, he wants to come in and eat with them. We want Jesus to be at the center of who we are as a fellowship. If people come into our fellowship, we want them to meet Jesus. Through us, yes. And by the Holy Spirit. Now, I I hear what someone might say to me is like, Whoa! Steady on. You're in danger of domesticating Jesus to become our chum. My pal, not a bit of it. Jesus is the Lord of glory. He is the judge of the living and the dead. He is the one who is coming again to make all things new. He is God the Son, the agent and sustainer of creation. In Revelation 1, John, the same disciple who called himself the Beloved, sees a picture of Jesus so overwhelming that he falls down as one dead. Jesus is the Lion of Judah. He is also the Lamb who was slain. Yes, he is the Lord of all, but he is also your friend. And I just think that makes Jesus more amazing. More worthy of worship. He, the King of kings and Lord of lords, would call me and you his friend. And notice it's he who does that. He calls us friend. He has chosen us. He wants us to know him, follow him, believe in him, be obedient to him. And notice when Jesus makes this statement of friendship, he is on the way to the cross. Before long, one of his closest friends will betray him. How painful is that? Before long, they will all run away and abandon him. And he will cry out on the cross, Even my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
And in that context, he says, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. Nothing is held back. He has shared everything with them. He has let them in completely. They may not have understood it all. We have not understood it all. But they love him and we love him. That word friendship evokes this other word, companion. That idea that someone is with us on the journey as we walk from this earth into eternity. We want to know Jesus better, know him as a friend. And if you have ever been rejected or betrayed, abandoned or felt alone, he is a friend who never does. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And that the heart of Christ, the heart of Jesus, is that he is our never-failing friend.